Well, good morning once again. My name is Eric Haskins. I have the joy and the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and it is good to be on this side of the camera. Usually on a Sunday morning, I'm on the other side, chatting away with uh, one of our online services. So a special welcome to my friends out there who are usually chatting away with me at this time. Uh, but it's a joy to be on this side and to bring uh, to you the word this morning. As I begin, I want to invite all of us to do something this next week. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, and that is to find the three other services of this series. We actually are in the second of a two-week series, but this two-week series has four messages by four different preachers. And so what we've done is after Easter, post-Easter, we said, hey, there is a number of post-resurrection passages that are just too good to blow by. And in fact, let's take some time and have four different messages over the course of these two weeks. We also put together a special study guide just for those. So you can download that one study guide and use it for each of the messages, um, either yourself or with a small group, your spouse, your best friend, even your family. And I look forward to uh, any feedback you'd like to give me about what God is doing in and with you through these messages. Because one of the things we always want to have happen is we lay the scriptures over our lives. And as we lay the scriptures over our lives, we give God the opportunity to uh, form in us what I like to call formational points. And formational points are those ideas, concepts, practices, um, little nuggets that we capture from the scriptures that when they're infused by the grace of God, God uses to transform us. He uses to transform our perspective of how he works in our life. He uses the formational points to transform our perspective, how we view ourselves and how we view those around us. And we're going to be looking and capturing some of those formational points here this morning. So a question for you. Have you ever felt as if you had no idea what God was up to in your life? Now, I know on a Sunday morning listening or watching church online or even in person, that might seem like an odd question to answer, maybe even profane. So how about this? Have you ever questioned the circumstances in your life to where you found yourself just wondering out loud, maybe out loud under your breath so no one around you might hear, God, are you, are you sure about this? Are you sure this is what I'm supposed to be going through? Because I don't know if this is really a good idea for me. And let me say, just right now, it's okay to admit this. I can pretty much guarantee you're in good company. Either with those right around you or definitely with those listening online, you're in good company. There's someone out there I can guarantee that has shared those things. One of the most memorable of these times for me was the summer of my 20th anniversary, wedding anniversary. The year previous, I had just resigned from my church I was a senior pastor at for four years, or four years, eight years, for eight years. And don't worry, it wasn't anything scandalous. We just knew for us that God was leading us out of the boat, as we've said, my wife and I. And he was giving us the choice, stay in the boat, or will you walk on the water with me, even though... You don't have all the answers, even though it seems kind of crazy, crazy right now in this storm, even though you may not even be able to see me, will you leave the security of the church community you know and love and step over? 
So being so sure we heard God, yes, we will do that. And we began this transition. Now I knew it might take a few months for me to find a new position in a different church somewhere. But as I collected rejection letter after rejection letter over the course of the year, I began to wonder, do we hear God right? Now I know I may not be the sharpest crane on the box, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the dullest either. So fast forward to the summer of my 20th anniversary. We are out of money because we have been living off the sale of our home. I have no job, and I'm moving back home to literally move back in with my in-laws. Not exactly what I had planned to commemorate the summer of my 20th wedding anniversary. But what I didn't know is that even in the midst of my doubts and questions, God had a different picture he was forming, that he was playing out. And soon after moving in, Lynn and I noticed something was amiss with my father-in-law. And we, a few weeks later, a few weeks later, we soon had confirmation from the doctors that, yes, my father-in-law was suffering from a very progressive form of Alzheimer's. And we saw over the next 18 months how he just literally nosedived with his health and his mental capacity. But also notice where we were. We were in the midst of the home. We were in the midst of the family to give support, to give counsel, to pray with, to cry with, to laugh with, simply just to be with when we didn't have answers but we had lots of questions and fears. Lynn and I have had this working metaphor with God that has played out over the course of our life many times. Lynn and I form a picture. We say, this is the picture that literally we have formed. We've worked at this picture. We like it. So we're going to step out, quote unquote, in faith and follow this picture, God. Aren't you proud of us? And God in his gentle way just kind of smiles at us. And he says in his own way, isn't that cute? how you guys do that and you have that picture. Oh, but by the way, Haskins, that picture you framed, that picture is a panoramic. Because I am doing something far greater than any picture you are putting together yourself. And my picture for you is where I want you to walk. You can't see that now because you're so focused on yours. But if you would give me space, you would begin to see my picture is truly the best picture. Any of you experienced something like this where your expectations didn't meet reality and you begin to question God's plan, God's goodness, perhaps God's faithfulness to you? Maybe you're in the midst of that right now. Again, you are not alone. In fact, not only am I sure that there are others right around you listening online as well who are hearing this and thinking this, who have these questions, but who are also spread across the emotional landscape, everywhere from downright angry towards God because of the circumstances and the road they find them on, all the way to deeply saddened and questioning God's goodness on their life as they walk the road that's before them. I don't have specific answers for you this morning, but what I do have is an offer and an acknowledgement and belief that Jesus is there with you. You might not be able to see or feel, even believe in Christ's presence right now with you, 
But know this, Jesus is on the road with you in the midst of your questions, of your doubts, of your fears, of your misgivings. The interesting thing is that the scriptures are full of these types of situations. And this morning we're going to join two others who are on a similar road like this. Two others who are questioning God and who had such high expectations. Two others who were so sure the story was going to go a certain way. Two others who had a perfect picture in their mind, in their heart of what God should do and then saw it all collapse before them over the course of the previous weekend. Two others who are doubting, where is God in their midst? Listen to their story now as we join them on the road. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, But they begged him, Stay the night with us, since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road? and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had had gathered with them, who said, 
The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. This This is is the word word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, choir. So the story opens and we find ourselves with our new friends walking along this road covered in sadness and confusion. And then something very unexpected happens. The risen Christ joins them. And yes, that's unexpected, but it's not the unexpected thing. The unexpected thing is that they don't recognize Jesus. In fact, we're told that God has kept them from recognizing Jesus in their midst along the road. Now here's a formational point. Why would God keep these two saddened, bewildered followers of Jesus from recognizing him along this road? And draw that formational point closer to yourself. Why would God keep you from recognizing and experiencing Christ's presence in your life when you think you need it the most? It makes me think of the classic Christian work, The Dark Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. In essence, it's a simple summary is when, when we find God the most distant, when we don't see God at all, and he's just simply absent, God has not left us. God is actually doing his deepest work in those moments. Stay the course. Stay on the road. Dawn is coming. It fits well with our encouragement this morning to have us realize you may not see Jesus right now, but Jesus is on the road with you. It's for these reasons when I experience these types of points in my own life, I do my best, not perfectly, but I do my best to move from asking God, but why, to move towards asking instead God, towards what end is this happening? Moving from God, but why, towards God, towards what end is this happening? Because if I'm honest, X nearly broke me, and Y and Z, honestly, just seems cruel right now. I don't, I don't always have immediate answers. I wish I did. Sometimes it's weeks, months, literally years later, and I might be able to see this foggy picture eventually of what was happening during that certain time of my life. But I do know a movement in my heart and mind from why to what end engages me to actively move towards God versus away. And this is a direction in my life I always want to be engaged in towards God versus away. And sometimes, yes, it takes all of me to do that because part of me does want to move back with all the questions, doubts, and fears, especially when you don't see Jesus on the road with you. With our friends here on the road, I do have a guess as to what God wanted to have happen. And And it's another formational point with us as we rejoin them here in verse 17. Jesus is walking on the road with them and they just think he's this, this friendly person. And he says, you seem to be in deep discussion about something, Jesus said. What are you so concerned about? 
They stop short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. So, okay, just pause right here, folks. Anytime you hear Jesus asking a question in the Gospels, formational points are at hand. It's reminiscent of going back to the garden in Genesis. God is looking for his creation. And God says, Adam, Adam and Eve, where are you? God wasn't asking that for his benefit because he lost his creation. I knew I shouldn't have made this place so jungly. He was asking it as a formational point for Adam and Eve to have them realize in that moment where they were. And where they were was separated from God. They were not only separated from God, they were hiding from God, from themselves, and from each other as they covered and hid in shame in the bushes. That question wasn't for God's benefit, but for his creation's. So Jesus here joins the two disciples on the road in the midst of their questions, doubts, and fears, misunderstandings, and asks them a question not for his benefit, but for theirs. So what things? He wanted them to process. And he wanted to be with them as they processed their misgivings about God. He wanted to be with them in the midst as they walked along together, talking about these things that are just blowing their heart and mind. Talking these things that are causing them to doubt the very love and care of God. He wanted to hear them say it out loud so they themselves could hear it. Think about it. Why is meeting with a therapist so helpful? It's because you are able to process your emotions, your feelings, your tendencies out loud and get it in front of you to do something about. It's one of the key reasons I meet with a spiritual director every month. And there isn't a time, uh, there isn't a month that I don't meet with my spiritual director that I don't, I'm not enabled to point this and this. Oh, I see that now. And again, if you're not familiar with spiritual direction, it's not someone telling me what to do, directing my life. A good spiritual director through prayer-filled questions is simply asking spirit-prompted questions in in the midst of our conversation, directing me to the movement of God in my life. Because frankly, sometimes I don't see it. The circumstances seem overwhelming. My doubts and my fears and my tendencies cloud it. So I need someone to help me get it out in front of me. That is what Jesus does here, asking what things. So they start processing and in essence say, we had thought Jesus was the real deal. We had thought Jesus was the one who was going to solve all our problems. He was going to be the answer to our prayers. We had thought we were finally going to be free of Rome. But then something happened that has shaken our faith to its core. That has had us question everything from the goodness of our religious leaders to question the faithfulness and goodness of God himself. This Jesus that we had pictured to solve all our problems that we built our hopes upon was crucified. 
He was killed. He was murdered. We saw it. We were there. How do you not know this? And not only was Jesus crucified, but some of the women who were also close followers of Jesus surprised us this morning in saying they met an angel at the tomb. And this angel told them that he's not dead, he's alive. We don't even know what to do with that. It's definitely not what we had pictured. So in place of this raw, bubbling emotion and confusion, Jesus joins these two friends enables them to process their faith, enables them to process their doubts and their fears as he walks the road with them. And you see the formational point here, sharing with others pain, our doubts and our fears with, and our questions is essential for our own spiritual formation. It's why around Christ Church, we encourage you to get connected to community. Sunday morning is not enough. Get connected to community in some way. It can take many forms. But you are not meant to do, you're not meant, let me phrase it this way, you are not meant to walk this Christian journey alone on the road. You are meant to be in community because in community, you can help verbalize, get out in front of you, and help have others see what you're thinking, feeling, knowing you're not alone, and also pointing out where you might be in error. And don't miss how Jesus is using this space, using their blindness to his presence to help them vocalize. He doesn't come in and give glib statements. Cheer up, folks. It's going to be okay. I have it on good authority, wink, wink. He doesn't do that. He journeys with them in their pain. He journeys with them in the midst of their questions. He doesn't answer them off the bat. And as we listen with Jesus, we hear maybe common things that we might find in our own life. Here's, here's a few that I picked up. Shattered expectations of what they thought God was supposed to do and be in their lives. They had a plan and God, dare he, he did not follow it. Jesus, the promised one of God, came to earth to die right? No. The Messiah was supposed to come triumphantly with power. The people they had trusted, the good religious types, the religious leaders let them down and betrayed them and perhaps were not so loving and perhaps were more concerned with building up their empire than caring for the people in their synagogues in their community of faith. That sound familiar? Just think of over the last five years how many of our evangelical religious leaders we've seen fallen. May I paraphrase Paul's encouragement to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11. Follow your leader's example only, only as they follow the example of Christ. Follow the example of the pastors and leaders of Christ's church only, only as we follow the example of Christ. They perhaps were focused on proof texting certain scriptures at the cost of delivering half-truths of the scriptures. 
They were looking for, again, a Messiah that was a conquering king, not one who was a suffering servant. So they played up the conquering king and downplayed and ignored or overlooked the suffering servant. Now granted, to some degree, we all do this. We have to admit that. We have our favorite Bible passages to prove our points, but we ignore the other ones. And it's always a sign of maturity and humility to keep in front of us with another Apostle Paul's warnings and encouragement from 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. I don't know everything. I'm not God. Well, then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. One day, not this side of heaven. It's here at this point, thanks to the prodding of Jesus, that their questions are out in front of them. In the midst, uh, they are now squinting almost through this fog of questions of fear and doubt. And it's here at this point, if Jesus has heard them, journeyed with them in their pain, doubt, and confusion, that he offers a different perspective. He points them to the truth. And in verse 25, then Jesus said to them, you are such foolish people. Now, I don't believe Jesus is here like thumping the pulpit. You are such foolish people. I think it's more under his breath, referring to the whole culture and what they were running after. Oh, I wish, when are they ever going to get it right? Come on. We see him doing that with his disciples through his ministry. And here again, I think he's doing that. Ah, oh, foolish people, come on. You find it so hard to believe, it's right in front of you. You have the scriptures, it's there. Now this emphasizes a formational point I always like to remind myself of, and that is written in the scriptures. The written scriptures are never an end in themselves. The written word always leads you to the living word. Now what Jesus does here is pretty profound. And if you're like me, You've missed it the majority of times you've read this passage. Because Jesus starts quoting, and we're told, then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining what all the scriptures said about himself. And we go, oh, that's nice. He's kind of given them his proof text. He's doing much, much more than that. little backstory. The Old Testament scriptures, the scriptures the Jewish people knew, was divided into three sections. It was divided into the law, the writings of Moses, the prophets, and the writings, the rest of the scriptures. And those three sections together was known as the Tanakh. And the Tanakh is an acronym for the first letter in Hebrew of each of those sections. So what Jesus is actually doing here is saying, listen, folks, I'm going to tell you something. All these scriptures you are proof texting and you think it's going one way, all these scriptures actually point directly to me. They're about me, my death, my resurrection. It's there. Because what does Jesus do? He quotes from the writings of Moses, section one. He quotes from, uh, he quotes from the prophets, section two. And he quotes from the writings of the rest of the scriptures, section three. So in totality, he's saying, everything you know, it's there. And it's about me. Embrace that. Know that. And the story you think you saw in part, let me fill in the complete picture. You had this picture, but no, 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 no. God had a panoramic in mind. 
because you were so focused on your picture, you couldn't see this. I love N.T. Wright's summary of this. The resurrection isn't just a surprise, happy ending for one person. It is instead the trunk point for everything else. It is the post at which all the old promises come true at last. The promises of David's unshakable kingdom, the promises of Israel's return from the greatest exile of them all, and behind that again, that all the nations will now be blessed through the seed of Abraham. There's a fuller picture. There's a bigger picture that you need to be aware of. And the story continues and gets even better here. By the time they were nearing Emmaus, at the end of the journey, Jesus would have gone on, but they begged him to stay with them the night because it was getting late. So they went home, so he went home with them. Now I find this interesting, that Jesus would have gone on. It's almost as if Jesus is giving them an option. Do you want more? Right? I've given you this much. Do you want more? Show me some skin in the game, so to speak. Show me that you are desiring more, and I'm with you. And they definitely do want more, verse 30. As they sat down to eat, Jesus took a small loaf of bread, asked God's blessing on it, broke it, then gave it to them. It's interesting to note that 70% of the parables from Luke's gospel involves uh, food or a meal or something like that let alone the narrative passages as we see here involving a meal and eating something. Jesus definitely loved his meals. There is something that happens when we sit down and eat with one another at a table. There's a beauty there. There's a power there. This power of the Christian practice of hospitality that's seen throughout the scriptures. In my own life, I've discovered this power yet again in the last two months as I've intentionally sat down with people across a meal, across a dinner table. In my case, it was been a breakfast table and had breakfast with people that do not look like me, that have not grown up in the neighborhoods I grew up in, that do not have the same background as I have. But we're discovering something about each other. We're seeing and hearing as we share our stories and listen to each other's stories that where we thought, Jesus, there's no way Jesus is on the road with that person or that person or this person, we begin to see you have that experience with God as well? Hmm. Tell me more about that. It's amazing what can happen. Now, I know in the time of COVID, it might be a little harder, but it still can happen. And I encourage you to have it take place, especially if you have questions about your faith. Have a meal with somebody that can talk it over with you. I can see Jesus doing this little bit here with a small smirk on his face. I mean, does not this sound familiar to anybody? Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it out. When else do we see that? We see it, of course, in the feeding of the 5,000. And what's the reminder and the lesson, the formational point there? Even though you don't see how this is possible, even when circumstances see beyond yourself, I can provide and I will provide for you. As Jesus took the bread that afternoon on the hillside, broke it and fed 5,000 plus people. And not only that, how many baskets were left over? 12. How many disciples are there? 12. Do you think there is a point there? 
And just a few days before this very meal, Jesus is in the upper room at the Last Supper, which, you know, again, in hindsight, was probably very poorly named. And he's breaking bread and saying, this bread is the new covenant. This is me broken for you. Take and eat. And it's at this moment, perhaps when Jesus was reaching for the bread, when they were reaching the bread from Jesus' hands. Now, who knows? Maybe they finally saw the nail prints in his wrists. Maybe they finally saw the scar prints. Don't know, but they noticed something because something happened in that moment. And there seems to be this echo of Isaiah 53, 5, where it says, by his wounds we are healed because as they're reaching out for this bread, verse 31, suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. A relationship with Jesus is more than head knowledge. There is an experiential element that needs to happen between you and Jesus. Even when Jesus unfolds the story, he gives them all the facts. He gives them all the proof texts. In some ways, it's not enough. It's just facts, stories. But there's something when he came around the table and he engaged with them and they engaged with him. There's an experience that happened in their life. And it moved from head knowledge to heart knowledge and their eyes were open. You see, Jesus is the transforming element in our life. We can create that space with one another, know all the Bible passages, know all the Bible verses, but don't let that be an end in itself. Enable that to lead you to experiencing the risen Christ himself. It's that experience that transforms us. And they said to one another, didn't our hearts feel strangely warm as we talked? with us on the road. And from there, they get up and they go back to Jerusalem. They just got home seven miles away in the middle of the night. And now they are so moved by their experience with Jesus, they get up and they go rushing back to Jerusalem. Cause and reaction. Now, obviously, yes, obviously, granted, this is a, one of the, the first post-resurrection appearances by Jesus to these two disciples. So they are you know, needless can say, excited. But I think there's a formational point there for us. Is our experience with Jesus moving us enough to share it? Is our experience with Jesus moving enough to share it? As we wrap up this formationally rich passage this morning, I want to pose to you Two questions to sit with. Two questions to journal what to talk about over lunch, to email or text me. I, I would love to do a Zoom coffee. I'd love to do an in-person coffee if you're into that. I, I'm there for you. But I'd love to hear your answer to these questions. What God is doing in you. And no matter where you are on your journey, these apply. Whether your head is still swirling and you have questions and doubts about God himself, or whether because of your circumstances you're like these two disciples who for whatever reason are just blinded to the presence of Jesus in your life right now. But you're doing your best to look. First question, very simply, is how are you creating space to experience the living Jesus? How are you creating space to experience the living Jesus? And if you're listening or if you're sitting here right now and you're going, 
I'm not really sure. It probably isn't happening. So I encourage you, let's do something about that. Second question, and from, and from that experience then, as you create that space, what and whom do you need to share with? Because sometimes creating that space with Jesus, I mean, I'm telling you, that's a scary thing. It's not all but, butterflies and rainbows. Sometimes we have to face that mirror, and some of the things that God's going to be pointing out, they're not easy to face, which is maybe one of the reasons we don't create that space. But can I encourage you to lean into it? It's worth it. You're worth it. The community here is worth it for you to be transformed. And then bring up, verbalize, voice your questions, your doubts, your fears on that road that God has you. That's what it's about. You're not meant to walk that road alone. It's never meant to be that way. Remember, Jesus is there. Voice your questions, your doubt, your fear. Share them with a trusted friend as you walk along that road looking for Jesus. Then listen to where Jesus is pointing you in the scriptures, not as an end in himself, but as a means to an end to become closer to him in intimacy, uh, relationally, experientially. Create that space to be with Jesus at the table of your life and look for him to appear. Because whatever you might think right now, Jesus is on the road with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the road that you do have before us. And Lord, I do ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear where you are in our midst. And Lord, I pray for those who are on this road right now and for the first time hearing that you long to join them, that your silence perhaps is not an act of judgment, but an act of care and love and compassion to draw you deeper into communion with them. So Lord, we ask that you would give us direction, that you would give us a faith to share our doubts, that we would have a trusted friend or pastor, someone to journey with, to point us back to you, to help us see you when, you, when we can't. And we thank you for your word today that promises and tells us you are there with us. In your name we pray. Amen.